Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, you heard it. It's time for 48 Days Online Radio. Hey, we're going to be talking about questions that come from you, the listeners. Real-life questions. Not some theoretical things, but real-life questions. Questions I could not dream up about the things we all encounter out here in the workplace. So if you need a tune-up or a complete overhaul, just stick around. We're going to be talking about some things like this. Someone says, I consider myself to be extremely successful. I have it all. We'll hear a little bit more from her about that. Someone says, Dan, like many wandering generalities out in the world today, I've been struggling to find where my passion lies. Dan, how do you define facing your fears and personal growth in your own life? In the past decade, the whole profession of education is beaten up and I'm ready to leave education, but I feel stuck. Someone says, Dan, I want to increase my income dramatically, but I would not enjoy a straight commission salary arrangement. We'll talk about that. What's the connection between guaranteed pay and income potential? Interesting connection, direct line connection. We'll talk about that. The more guarantees you want, the more you lower the ceiling on what you're able to create. And someone says, I want to obtain a telecommuting job where I'm able to set my own hours. I promise that each week I'd give you some testimonials as well from people. So we don't hear just the challenges of the workplace, but also the victories of the workplace. We got some things moving in that direction. I do have some things here I want to share with you, but we're also going to be open up a kind of a brag section on 48days.net, our social networking community. We got about 12,000 people in there at this point. And we're going to open that up where we allow people to say, Hey, I just sold, you know, 10,000 copies of my new book or I just started a business and got a customer that's going to generate half a million dollars in revenue. I mean, we're going to open up a section that allows people to share those kind of things. We want to hear about those real life stories. There's a whole lot that's happening kind of under the radar. A lot of things that I hear about that other people don't, and we want a common area to share those things. So keep watching for that. If you're a member of 48days.net, here's a quotation for the day. This comes from Albert Einstein, who said, everybody is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it's stupid. Now that's, but when I heard that recently, I thought, how could I have gone this long in my life and not heard that from Albert Einstein? Let me read it to you again. I want to comment on it a little bit. Everybody is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it's stupid. Now, this relates somewhat to the things we often tell our kids as parents. You can do anything you want to do. If you want to be president, you want to be an astronaut, you want to be a rocket scientist, you know, you can do that. Well, that probably really isn't true. It's probably pretty bad advice because if your son is five foot two, he's probably not going to play in the NBA. You know, if your daughter, you know, played the flutophone, but really didn't sound too great, you know, she's probably not going to be lead violinist in a symphony somewhere. So the key to being great is to find where our genius lies. 
not just this blanket thing you can do anything you want but where are you talented where are you gifted what can you do then to nurture that as a seed of greatness and become great in that area so part of the challenge for children and for us as adults is to find where that seed of greatness is don't frustrate yourself but trying to be great at something that you're not i mean i in running a business you know tell people that there are probably 20 25 different components of running even a small business like we have i probably do two or three of those things pretty well that's where i want to spend my time is doing those i am never going to learn the technology behind what we have on our website the technology to build a website, you know, to know HTML code and all. I I mean, I don't even have, I don't have any desire, but I don't think I could force myself to become good at doing that. I couldn't force myself to become good in financials. Yeah, I can do a quick glance at a spreadsheet, a PL, but I am never, I hate the time spent in doing mathematical calculations, even for my own business. I'm never going to be great doing that. It's just something I tolerate and I have very minimal skills in that. So I'm going to spend my time in the area where I find my genius and I encourage you to do the same. Well, let's share just a couple of quick stories here from people. Incidentally, to share a story, if you go to 48days.com, click on the podcast link, you'll see a brand new little button over there on the right hand side. It says, ask Dan a question. All you have to do is just click on that little button and you record right from your computer. You don't have to make a phone call or anything. Record right from your computer and you can ask a question. It comes right straight to me as an email with the the audio connected. It's a really cool feature called SpeakPipe. It's something we just installed on our system so you can ask a question there. You can also leave a testimonial. Now, I'd love to hear from some of you. What are you doing? What are you doing that is making your life great. You know, how have you found work that you love or a business that you love or created work that you love? Like we talk about, how have you done that? We want to share that with other people. We'll put you right here in the rotation to share with people what you're doing. So go on, go to the 48days.com website, click on the podcast link, and you'll see that little roving button over there on the right-hand side to, to leave your comment, question, or testimonial. Well, this comes from Joe. He says, Dan, I can't tell you how happy I am. Now, I promised each week that I'd share some success stories, and that's what I'm doing here. I can't tell you how happy I am that I happened upon your book. I went from an unsure future at a dead-end job to an exciting new career in 32 days. Now, he got what Joe got is 48 days to the work you love. But he says, I went from an unsure future at a dead-end job to an exciting new career in 32 days from the time I picked up the book. I truly believe it was a God-sent And I appreciate the work you do. Your book was filled with timeless wisdom and inspiration that helped me to take the necessary steps toward the work I love. My life is forever changed to do the work God designed me to do. I wake up excited to go to my new career each and every day. Thank you for writing this book and making a difference in people's lives. Well, thanks, Joe, for your note. This one comes from uh, Luke, who says, three months ago, I left a sure thing at an established company working 40 plus hours a week i made 45 grand a year plus bonuses at the end of the year now i stay home with my kids during the day and pull shifts at my fire department at night and some weekends plus i write on the side my wife and i make enough to get by 
with some Dave Ramsey budgeting techniques and I spend every day with my incredible kids. You can't put a price on that. Other opportunities have fallen into my lap, but I know God put them there. Your book is not just 48 days to the work you love. It is 48 days to the life you love. It took me a little longer than 48 days, but I got there. Thank you for the advice. And I thank God for the strength to put your advice into action. Keep up the good work. You know, sometimes when people move into a life that is meaningful, fulfilling and purposeful and productive, it doesn't always mean they're going to make a million dollars. Sometimes when I have somebody ask me, how do I rate the success that I have with coaching clients? I have to be careful how I frame that. Now, if I said, oh, you know, it's a hundred percent, everybody, you know, just achieves the life of their dreams. I mean, that would be unrealistic for sure. Now, because I have a pretty stringent process of screening before I take somebody on as a new client. I mean, I know they're good candidates. I work with the most delightful people in the world. They're motivated. They're disciplined. They've already proven to me that they can set goals and achieve them. So yeah, I have an extremely high success rate. I mean, that's not a, uh, accurate prediction of what would happen with you know people in general, because there's a whole lot of people who enjoy their comfortable misery. I mean, I could coach all I wanted to do and they're going to hang on to that. I mean, I know that I'm realistic about that, but the people I actually work with, you know, we have a pretty astounding rate of success. However, how success is defined varies from person to person as it will for you and the person standing next to you. I mean, I worked with a dentist few years ago who was making about $350,000 and he was at the point of considering suicide. So without going into all the details about how frustrated, angry he was, he was at the point of suicide, talked about it openly with me. We sold his practice. He went back to school, got an additional degree, got a degree in family life counseling, which he does today. He makes about 30000 With what his wife does, they're making about 60000 I talked to him just yesterday, and he called me just again to connect with me. This has been you know, several years ago, but that's why he's up top of my mind, because he wanted to again just tell me how much he loves his life and what he's doing. Now, because of selling his practice, he was able to do some things financially that put him in pretty good shape, you know, no mortgage in a gorgeous house and so on. But I essentially helped him take his income to one-tenth of what it had been. (laughs) Now, would you consider that success? He is so, his life is full, rich, rewarding, full of wonderful relationships. He loves the work he's doing. He says he wants to do this work until the day he dies. Now, for somebody looking in from the outside, depending on how you're measuring success, they may see that as a dismal failure. But that's why we have to be careful about how we quantify success and how you ought to be able to define what success means for you. And that may be very different than what your neighbor wants. So sometimes when I get these testimonials from people, glowing testimonials about how their lives have been changed, it's not that they went from making 20000 to making $500,000. Sometimes it has very little to do with the income, but there are some other things in their life that have changed. We know that making money or even work, and as much as I talk about the importance of work, work is simply one tool 
for a successful life. It's not the only determinant of success by any means. It's not what we want to look at as the only criteria, the determining criteria of success in your life. That's why if you are in between opportunities, you're without work right now, you ought to be the same person you were last week when you were full-time employed in a job. Losing a job shouldn't change who you are. If it does, somehow you had work in an unrealistic position of control in your life. So when people make these adjustments, a lot of times it has to do with bringing things into balance in their lives, into adjustment in ways that are not reflected just financially. Well, let me read one more here and then we'll go to questions. This one just, just identifies herself as mom. So I'll stay with that. Hello, I wanted to share my story because I've read Dan's book, used to completely change my life. But my definition of success is different from many. And I want others in the same situation as me to realize they too can be successful. I'm a mother of four very young children, ages seven, six, four, and three. My primary job in life at this point is to be with my kids. I take them to school, pick them up, go to their school plays, chaperone parties, attend PTA meetings, go to soccer games and prepare three meals a day while managing a farm. So where does this all fit in? Simply put, raising our four children requires substantially more income than my husband is able to bring home with one job. Neither of us wanted him to take a second job since we already have the farm, which really constitutes a second job anyway. I have a college degree, so I did a little networking and very quickly I found a great management position in my field of interest. But 13 hours a day away from the children, a 45 minute drive each way to work and all the other drawbacks simply were not worth it. I worked one weekend a month and had at least two evening meetings a month. And of course, I missed everything my children did. After taking into consideration the additional financial expenses of actually working, I made the decision to quit my job. On my way out of town, I stopped at the bookstore to purchase your book. Within two weeks, I was once again working. I have a small dog that has to be groomed regularly, and I do it myself. So I made a few business cards, talked to a few friends, and now am grooming dogs. I work 8.30 to 1.30 each weekday, and I'm able to still run all my errands and keep up with my kids I do my own scheduling so I can be off whenever I need to, to attend a function during the day. I run my own business. So occasionally after the children are in bed, I have to do the paperwork, but I love it. I net more money than I did as a business manager for a mid-sized corporation. I will never make the millions that some of your contributors speak of, but that's not my goal. I consider myself to be extremely successful. I have it all. Isn't that a great story? You know, I got an, I have a question here from a lady. I'm going to tie in here because it relates to this. This comes from Megan who says, I'm a part-time barista and a mother of a two-year-old looking for some good ideas on how to make money from home. I'm a people person and I love working in a cafe type environment. But at this point in my life, I want to be able to devote more time to my son. I do not enjoy sales, but I enjoy serving people. Any ideas? I seem to recall you saying you had a list of business ideas for stay-at-home moms but I can't seem to find it on the website. Thanks, Megan. Well, yes, we do have, we have lots and lots of ideas, list of ideas for peop, things that people can do, stay-at-home moms or anyone who wants to generate income on their own. Megan, I have already emailed you a full copy of my book, 48 Low-Cost Business Ideas. Now, that is a product. You can find that on 
our website under products. If you're a member of 48days.net, you can go to member exclusives and download it there as a free book. So you can get it there, member exclusives under 48days.net. If you're a member there, you can get it free. But I sent that to you, Megan. I want you to have access to that. That gives you those 48 ideas that I have listed, most of which require no startup capital. And then it also links to other ideas as well. List links to another list of 999 ideas. So there's a whole lot of ideas. But like this mom we wrote in, she decided that since she groomed her own dog, she was going to do that for a few other people. Created a little business that she does on her time, her requirements, and makes more money than she did in her corporate position. What a great way to go. Hey, one thing I want to throw in here, and then we're going to go back to more questions. But I get a lot of questions about how much I should charge for my services. I mean, I meaning you, the readers, whatever you're doing, or I as a coach, I can certainly speak from that. But how do you price your services to stay in business and profit? Now, we we spend a lot of time talking about that when we do, like right to the bank or coaching with excellence here, because coaches are asking, well, golly, you know, somebody down the street is coaching for $30 an hour. How could I possibly charge a hundred? Well, it's different. When you are providing a service, don't ever see it as selling a commodity. If you're selling Ford F-150 trucks, you're selling a commodity. I can go to six dealerships or jump online and I can price shop and nickel and dime you to death to down where you're making, you know, $20 on that transaction because you're just selling a commodity. Well, no, that even is, that, that can be different as well, but I'm going to stick to that kind of purpose here just for making the point that I want to make. Here's the deal. Joanne and I live here in Franklin, Tennessee. If we want to have fish for dinner, Joanne says, hey, I'm in the mood for fish. We just got back from Hilton Head Island where we had a lot of fish and she's still dreaming about that because she enjoys fish a whole lot more than I do, incidentally. But if we want to go out for fish, we can go to Captain D's. We can go to Red Lobster. We can go to Bonefish Grill. Now, chances are those places bought their fish, their vegetables, their drinks from the very same suppliers and vendors. But we're going to pay, in that case, $10, $20, or $40 for that fish dinner. Why is the, why would we be willing to pay the difference? Why do you see people at all those locations if the food is pretty similar? Now, Okay, I'll have to admit here, I'm not a real food connoisseur. Maybe you're already saying, what are you talking about? Those meals are very different. Hey, to me, they're pretty much the same. So just stick with me here for sake of making a point. So how does a coach, now we'll go away from the restaurant business for a minute. How does a restaurant or how does a coach or a dentist or a chiropractor or accountant or massage therapist or a dog groomer or a hairstylist or an artist, musician set fees for his or her services? I mean, do you just do this as a mathematical calculation? You look at your office rent, phone bill, supplies, computer upgrades, and then you tack on $25, 25% for profit? Or do you start by identifying your desired annual income and you just back into that by dividing by 50 weeks and then 20 hours a week of actual providing services? Well, th- those are artificial ways to do it, really. I don't think it's any of the above. Rather, I would encourage you to look at the market that you want to serve. So if you want to coach, as an example, as, as I do, I, I coach. So if you want to coach welfare to work moms, help moms get off welfare. We had a 
lady in our home last night who got out of prison a couple years ago, and we've helped her a lot along the way. Well, there hasn't been a lot of compensation for doing that other than her uh, undying love and gratitude, but uh, that doesn't pay the mortgage, obviously. But So if I want to work in that arena totally, then it doesn't matter if I want to drive a Ferrari and have a vacation home in Cabo San Lucas. It, it's probably not going to happen. The rates required for that lifestyle don't line up with the clientele that I'm talking about serving. If you want to work with CEOs, physicians, attorneys, but you don't care about making money, you still cannot charge $30 a session. That's not enough to be taken seriously in that audience. So you need to, you need to adjust your rates depending on who do you want to serve? See, unlike selling cars, furniture, or even real estate, you know, in coaching or dog grooming or being a dentist or an accountant or a massage therapist, you're not just selling a commodity. You're selling a life-changing experience that cannot have an easy monetary value assigned. Now, that being said, my observation is that price is a very small part of the equation when someone is choosing to work with us. Having someone you know, trust, and like is a large part of the equation. I mean, the people that, that I work with, whether it's in our web design or whether it is as a massage therapist or an accountant or a whole lot of things, it's not based on who's the cheapest. It's who do I like and who do I trust? That, that, that's why sometimes even with like where I get dry cleaning done, you know, the people are just wonderful. I whip in there, you know, they get it out of the back seat, put it in. Their, their service is just wonderful. You know, they have signs up. I never pay attention to their signs. You know, this week only, you know, shirts for $1.75. Frankly, I don't know what it cost me to get a shirt dry clean. It's been years since I've looked at that. Because I always have multiples, I just pay them what they say the total. I don't know what it costs to get an individual shirt done because that's not my concern. My concern is working with people that I know, trust, and like. So that's how you set your price. If you're providing a service, don't get caught up into thinking you need to be cheaper. If you're going to be cheaper, it's a race to the bottom and out of business. Somebody's always going to be cheaper. And if that's what you're basing the value of what you're offering, on, then you can never be cheap enough. You'll, you'll price yourself right out of business. So instead of lowering your price, raise your value. If you're providing a service, create a remarkable experience for the people you work with. That's how you get higher fees. And yes, and, and I'm going to kill this and go on. I, I'm sure the dining experience, I agree, is different at Captain D's and the Bonefish Grill. I'll, I'll grant you that. And obviously, we, we enjoy uh, both ends of that spectrum, depending on what kind of a dining experience we want. Again, I don't make much distinction in terms of the quality of the food, but there certainly is a difference in the dining experience. I'll grant you that. Well, Will says, Dan, like many wandering generalities out in the world today, I've been struggling to find where my passion lies so I can build a work life based on it. But I think I finally found it. Golf. I love everything about the game. Now I'm nowhere near the level of professional golfer. And given my age, 44, I don't believe it would be realistic for me to pursue a career as a professional golfer. Nevertheless, I do feel drawn very strongly 
to do something in golf, but I just don't know what. I feel that there are very limited career options in golf. You either play professionally, teach, or manage a golf course. I'm not at a level to do the first two, and I'm not interested in the third option. So I find my passion, but now what? Well, there's two parts to the answer here to your question. Well, one is, I think there are a whole lot of things that you can do that are connected with golf. And I'm going to give you some ideas here in a second. But the other thing is not everything we discover as a passion is something that we need to turn into our only income generation. I mean, there are a lot of things that you ought to be able to enjoy as passions that may never be part of creating income for your family. I mean, I enjoy old cars a lot. Went to an old car show just this last weekend. I mean, I just, they just jerk my head around. You know, when I, when we're driving down the street and I say, oh my gosh, you know, whereas for many guys, it may be, you know, a gorgeous woman. Now I notice those too, but more than likely Joanne knows when I scream out in delight, it's because some amazing car just got my attention. So I, I am passionate about cars, but I do nothing at this point to generate income connected with that because there's a whole lot of other things that I'm doing that are very fulfilling. So don't think that just because you discover a passion, you got to drop everything you're doing and go figure out how to make, have it make money. Now, some passions are just meant to be enjoyed as part of a balanced life or as a hobby. However, let me come back to that. Let's say you really do want to do this. A few years ago, probably five or six years ago, I worked with a guy who was a rep for one of the GPS systems that are sold to golf courses. Now, at the time, I don't know, I'm sure technology has changed, but at the time, there were only three providers for that, where on the golf course, you could see you know, the GPS layout, how many yards to the next hole, all those cool things, and all the golf courses were feeling pressure to have that technology available, because golfers expected it. He was one of only three companies. He knocked it out of the park with that. He was a golfer. He loved golfing. So he spent all day long traveling around to golf courses, talking to them, helping them dream about how to expand their business, and then selling them a very expensive technology program where he got very big commissions. That's what he did. But think about the things. I mean, you could sell golf carts. I mean, I'm kind of turned on by those. You can be in a car guy, see a golf cart, you know, with it jacked up and big mag wheels on it and exotic colors. I think, Ooh, that's cool. I could get into that. But you know, you could sell golf carts. You could manage the clubhouse. I mean, we're friends with the guy who manages Vanderbilt legends clubhouse, Bruce, wonderful guy. Again, he loves the environment, loves being around golf. Oh, he manages the clubhouse. That's what he does. You could design a better golf club or golf ball. I've got a guy who just raised several million dollars, a friend of mine for years, just raised several million dollars because he developed a better golf club. Now, I'm not a golfer, so I wouldn't know good or bad club, but that's what he does. He's somebody that has been golfing for years and years and years, gets withdrawal symptoms, I think, if he doesn't golf a couple times a week. And he designed a better club and now raised some venture capital, and he's promoting that club. And you could be a rep for one of the leading golf Product manufacturers, Callaway, True Temper, Wilson. Again, I'm not familiar with them a lot, but you can get involved in, I mean, when you go to a golf course and look around at all the things that are connected, and you could have a company. I had a client a few years ago who his, his business was doing the lawn service on golf clubs. So I was fascinated to know how sophisticated that is. It's not like you just get out your Home Depot mower and go, you know, walk around 
it's a real art to keep the golf course, the greens and everything, all the different levels, just exactly like they need to be. And he was paid a fortune for doing that for a couple different golf clubs. And you could do that. I, I had a, a young client, 27 years old, who had gotten out of school. And it was one of these just um, a sad chain of events in a young person's life. It turns, at least from my perspective, he went to school his dad and he would race open car race you know they had open wheel cars like the indy cars that they would race on the weekends so he did that all through school took the seven-year plan finally got his degree you know got through school got his first job put on a suit and tie every morning went off to the office they loved him he absolutely felt like he was being smothered he hated his job and i was like dude who sold you this bill of goods and he's like isn't that what happened isn't that what we do you know, we, we mess around as kids, we have some fun in college, but then we graduate, now we're supposed to be adults, you know, now we bite the bullet and just get a job that we hate. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me, this is nuts. We started unpacking things that he really enjoyed, one of those being all the time he spent racing cars with his dad. I said, why don't you be a rep? You got a really outgoing, gregarious personality, you'd be great as an account rep for something that you really believed in, knowing that selling is simply sharing of enthusiasm and that's what professional selling is it's not manipulating or conning people into things they don't want or need it's sharing your enthusiasm well he was enthusiastic about a whole lot of things having to do with the racing scene one of those being bbs tires now that's a it's a german manufacturer but they they make wheels that rather wheels not tires but wheels bbs wheels and i said well contact him because that's the only kind of wheels they had on their racing cars i said contact him he did he contacted him company of his the, the United States offices were located, as I recall, in Atlanta. And they said, no, you know, we've only got like 13 people on our entire United States team. We aren't really looking for anybody. Thanks, but no thanks. Well, he called him back. He says, you know, you don't understand. I'm not just looking for a job. I'm an advocate. I'm a raving fan. I tell everybody about BBS wheels, how great they are, how they're the only things they ought to be running on not only the racing cars, but their personal cars. And the guy, you know, was like, well, you know, again, we don't really have any position, but if you're ever in Atlanta, you know, let me know and we'll get together and have coffee. The guy says, wow, as it turns out, I'm going to be in Atlanta next Wednesday. Now, and I pulled something totally out of the air. He had no, he lived in Dallas. He had no plans to be in Atlanta, but here's an opening. He's going to take it out. Hey, I'm going to be in Atlanta next week. They got together well, you know where the end of this story goes. I mean, the guy says, we don't really have a new position, but we need people involved in our company who are as passionate as you are about what we're doing and about our products. And that's where the kid went to work. So you can do that. You share your enthusiasm about golf, whatever it happens to be. You can find opportunities that line up with that. Well, hey, Dan Miller, we're just blasting through this edition of 48 Days Online Radio where each week we take your questions about work challenges. Yeah, we want to hear the good stories as well, but the things that are giving you, making you scratch your head, we cover those here. If you've got a question, go to the 48days.com site. Click on the podcast link. You can ask your question there. We'll put it into rotation for an upcoming show. Well, this comes from Philip who says, Dan, I'm in the middle of reading Wisdom Meets Passion. And I'm enjoying the book very much. A common theme in your work has to do with stretching ourselves. 
I've stressed myself out and driven my wife crazy by taking on challenges that I really had no desire doing, all for the sake of getting out of my comfort zone. For example, if I enjoy running as a form of exercise, should I enter a marathon because of the personal challenge, even though I have no desire to run that far? Or if I do judo twice a week, should I enter a competition, even though I'm not a competitive person? How do you define facing your fears and personal growth in your own life? How do you decide on which challenges to take on versus ones you walk away from? Well, that's a great question, Philip, and and it really makes me kind of ponder, you know, where to go with this. When I think about my own life, there are a whole lot of things that I don't enjoy. I'm not particularly a sports advocate. So am I going to, just for the sake of making myself do it, you know, go out and sit in a stadium when it's 20 degrees out to watch the Tennessee Titans lose yet one more game? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> probably It just doesn't even rank on desirable thing. And I'm not going to force myself to do something that I just really don't have any real desire to do. So, uh, yeah, I don't think this is a matter of, I don't want to imply that you need to just find things that you know you would dis that would disgust you and just force yourself to do those things. But I, but I do encourage, and in wisdom meets passion, I spend a lot of time talking about if you have not really uncovered your passions, do things that break the monotony of your ordinary life. So there are concerts that I go to people that I don't know that much about that. I'm not sure that I'm going to enjoy, but I go anyway to expose me to new music and maybe find a new group or some kind of, music venue that I really enjoy. I go to seminars. I mean, I find things. I mean, I found a seminar online not too long ago. It was Plywood Presents. Somebody sent me a link and said, I think you'd enjoy this. Actually, they sent me a link and said, I think your son Jared would enjoy this. Well, Jared was going to be, he was in the United States, but they were going to be in Canada for a wedding at the time of this particular seminar. And I looked at it and said, you know what? I think I'm going to go. I didn't know a single person who was presenting. I knew nothing about the company putting the event on. It was Plywood Presents. They had some nonprofits and some kind of unique business businesses that were presented. They gave the people about 20 minutes, kind of like a TED conference. And so I just decided I was going to go. I, I had no expectations. I really knew nothing about it in advance. I just went. It was a delightful experience. I've met a couple new people that I've maintained connections with, and I've already registered to go to their event next year. I read a lot of books just for the sake of stretching my thinking. Now, granted, I enjoy reading a lot, so I'm going to read a lot anyway. So that's not really pushing me into a lot of new territory, but I read books about things that I don't have a particular interest in, but I read them to stretch my thinking in that way. If you would have told me two years ago that I would be eating sushi three and four times a week, I would have laughed. I said, you got to be kidding me. You know that. I don't eat raw fish. There's no way. Well, having gone through a real evaluation of my own health and digestive practices earlier this year, I've discovered sushi. Now, I've read about, and I've got some questions again about this. I'm getting a lot of questions about what I've done health-wise. Well, I read a book called, or titled, Wheat Belly. I forget the name of the doctor who wrote it, but you can find it anywhere, Wheat Belly. I read that. It kind of rocked my world about how uh, 
pervasive wheat is in everything that we eat and the wheat that we have today has been so genetically modified it doesn't have the nutritional value of what our grandfather had in what he was raising on the farm so i eliminated wheat well that eliminates a whole lot of things that eliminates sandwiches you know bread muffins biscuits pies cakes cookies many eliminate some things so in looking for new food options instead of going to you know mcdonald's or wendy's which i wasn't doing anyway but you know where you're going to get a big fluffy bun golly i've discovered sushi it's compact it has rice instead of wheat it has vegetables i still am not fond of you know the raw fish i don't do that but it has crab meat in there it has avocado cream cheese i mean it's wonderful so i tried that that was one of those things about stretching my boundaries a little bit so sure i tried that discovered that i really did love it and a lot of things that i enjoy today are things that i originally didn't think that i would enjoy i mean you can remember your your mama telling you when you're little kids i mean my my daughter i hear her tell my granddaughters you know you have to take a no thank you bite you don't have to like it but you have to take a no thank you bite <laughs> well a lot of times in taking a no thank you bite it opens them up to something that they later learn to really enjoy and i think the same is true as adults. So I, I'm always looking for things where I'll, I'll take a no thank you bite. Now, I'm not sure that really helped you there. When you say that you're stressed out and driving your wife crazy, I mean, those are kind of red flags. If it really stresses you out, I don't know that you need to force yourself to do it. But uh, you ought to be exploring things to make sure that you don't get just locked into the status quo the way things that all, always are. I think it is in trying new things that we discover new passions and things that we can put legs on to have enjoyment, fulfillment, and profitability in our lives. Well, let me get a question here. This one's from Bob in Ohio. He says, I've been working for a large public school district for the past 13 years. Among upper management, there exists a hubris against teachers and students. I took a position in the central administration hoping to find, hoping to right some of the wrongs eight years ago, but I've been unable to do so. I didn't realize how entrenched that mindset is. I really dread Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and, well, you get the idea. In the past decade, the whole profession of education is beaten up and I'm ready to leave education, but I feel stuck. I feel passionately that every teacher is like me where we want our students to learn and be productive members of our society. Public education blows with the winds of politics, whether good for the student or not. I've scored evenly high on the ds and c and the profile do you have any insight well what what i encourage you to do in this situation bob is look for what you can control and what you cannot i hear from a lot of government workers you know who are locked into civil service positions and feeling trapped and i'm like you know this is probably a bigger ship than you can turn around so you have to look at what is it that you can control and in this and you have to be realistic about that. Now, I'm, I'm not just encouraging all educators you know, who are thinking competent, intelligent people to just bail and leave. I mean, certainly we need game changers to be in education. But if it's at the point where you've spent eight years, you haven't been able to make change in this situation, yeah, I think you owe it to yourself to make a change. Don't get taken down with a ship. There are a lot of ways that you can engage your original desires to teach, train, make a difference in the lives of people outside of public school. I mean, you could do corporate training. You could work with homeschooling groups, groups where they're, you know, highly motivated. You could do classical school training. 
I work with private schools. I mean, right here in Nashville, I mean, we've got like 60 private schools here in addition to the public secondary schools that we've got. Community college, you can look there. You could create your own seminar. Look at what it is that you enjoy most about teaching and frame that in a way. You may find a whole new audience other than just high school kids for that. And you may be able to do some things outside of the system where you still are working with high school kids. You know, a lot of parents recognize that there are other good opportunities their kids ought to be getting that don't exist in school and they're willing to write the checks for those things. So don't give up your desire to teach, train, and improve the lives of people, but look for environments that are more receptive to good ways of having that done. Tyson says, I'm a 41-year-old looking to change careers and find a career that fits. I bought and read 48 days and found it to be useful. Here's some information. I have a management degree. I'm unfulfilled at my current civil service job. No pay raises. I reviewed my past jobs, noted that I enjoy helping people get the items or services they need or want. I have a golden retriever profile. Would that sync with the traditional sales position? I would not enjoy a straight commission salary arrangement. I enjoy media, books, music, film, all aspects. I've hit a wall trying to decide which direction and what career field to pursue. What can I do to generate a list of business types that I could apply with my love of customer service or would a sales position be best? Well, Tyson, there's no question that a sales position opens the door financially. Now you say that you're in a civil service position. You haven't gotten raises for several years, man. I understand. I see that picture painted a hundred times a day. So if you want to open the door financially, yeah, selling is the quickest way to open the door financially. You can be really great at customer service. Now, you say that you don't want a straight commission salary. You can be really great at customer service and be paid $12 an hour. End of story, no matter how good you are. I mean, there's a lot of positions like that. So you can get one of those. But if you help increase revenue, then the sky is the limit. So when you talk about no pay raises, that simply implies that your pay is not tied to revenue production. You're just paid for administrative duties or whatever it happens to be, but there's no connection to revenue at all. So if you're willing to take responsibility for that revenue production, then your pay can adjust dramatically. It can jump dramatically. Now, when you say, I don't, I would not enjoy a straight commission salary arrangement that implies, okay, you really need to have a base pay. That's okay. But again, be realistic about what you're saying. Be realistic about the trade-off here. The more you require as a base or guarantee, the more you limit what you can make. I mean, you can't have it both ways. You can't be guaranteed $100,000 and then have the potential to make three hundred. dollars It usually doesn't work that way. If you work at Hobby Lobby, you can be in customer service you know, helping people find things they want or need, and you're going to be paid, again, probably 12 bucks an hour. If you work at Red Lobster, you might be paid $8 an hour, but then you can triple that in tips in providing good customer service. But if you take a position with uh, Yacht World, you know, selling boats, you're probably not going to be guaranteed anything, but you might make five or $600,000 next year. So 
work that equation any way that you want to. Just be confident that the more you guarantee, if you have to have a guaranteed salary, medical benefits, 401k, you have lowered and lowered and lowered the ceiling on what you're going to be able to make financially. I mean, the people I know who make three, $400,000 a year in what they do, they have no guarantee. They have no guarantee. They just go out and do what they do extremely well. I mean, obviously people like me and a lot of people that you hear us talk about on here. I mean, I don't have, I don't work for a company, so I have no guarantee at all. Wow. To me, that's extremely exciting because that means there's no ceiling. There's no cap. There's no boss that's going to say, oh, you're making too much. Oh, you can't do overtime this week. No. If I want to raise, I look at that guy in the mirror in the morning and say, dude, I want to raise and we just make it happen. In the business that I have here, 48 days, I mean, we do a lot of live events. So we have people that come in here from all around the country. They pay to be here for a couple of days. We feed them well. We give them lots of goodies and give them workbooks and so on. They go out the door. Now, my daughter and her husband, Ashley and Nathan, set that all up. They handle everything to do with our live events. So they spend months working to promote the live events. They handle registration. They help people with hotel arrangements. They decide what caters we're going to use for food, what we're going to give away, and how, I mean, what the temperature is going to be when people show up here. I mean, they, they take care of everything. They are guaranteed nothing for their efforts. They get a percentage of the net profits. If we have an event and we've spent all the money on food that we gave people and prizes that we gave away, they get nothing for what could have been six months of work. Absolutely nothing. Do they complain about that? They love that kind of arrangement because that also means if they do a really good job and we have a really successful event, they get a chunk of money like they would not have been able to ever make in salary over that six months leading up to that. It's just that kind of game out there. That's the way it works. So you can, you can write your own ticket in today's environment. Trust me, you really can. Let me grab one more question here. Well, let me, let me do, go with Brent's question. Brent says, Dan, I'm currently part-time with a company whose mission I love. However, the management is poor and creates a very negative and also almost hostile work environment. They've spent four months training me for an upcoming full-time position. Because of their investment in me, I want to be loyal to that trust. However, I'm afraid that if I stay, I will be staying on board a mismanaged sinking ship. I know that if I decline their potential offer, it will drastically reduce their ability to effectively market and sell a good product in the racing industry. Is it wrong of me to turn up my nose at their investment? I know I could do a lot of good, but I'm afraid I wouldn't be allowed to do it. I could use some wisdom. Well, Brent, again, in this situation, look at what you can and what you cannot control. If the culture at this company is hostile and negative, you may not be able to control or change that. So then the question really is not, does the company have a good mission or even a good product? But the question is, is this a right fit for you? And frankly, I don't think you can be in a company where you think it's mismanaged and it's a negative and hostile work environment. I don't think you can be your best in that environment. I think it would dramatically reduce your effectiveness in that environment. I think you need to find something where there's a better fit. And don't worry about it. I mean, if they're working to train you in this short period of time, I mean, they know that was an investment. And 
selling you on the idea of being committed there and coming on board. If you tell them at this point, you know, this isn't just isn't going to be a good fit from you. That's not a big deal. It's better to draw a line in the sand and leave now than to go ahead and take the position. And then six months from now, be so frustrated. You just can't stand it anymore. So now make those adjustments. Recognize. Here's what I want to leave you with today. Recognize the choices that we all get to make every morning when we get up. There's very little that we have to do. There's very little that we're trapped into doing. Yeah, I know I get those notes every day. I'm trapped. No, you really aren't. You can make new choices and you can do it very, very quickly. Accept the responsibility that you have for creating the work that you want and the life that you want. You'll be amazed at the new opportunities that show up as soon as you recognize you, in fact, are the director of this movie that's unfolding as a story of your life. Well, as usual, the time has gone quickly. I love this time together with you, the listeners. Keep shooting those questions in. Go to our new tab, the podcast link at 48days.com, and you can uh, use that fancy little gizmo we got there to just record your question or testimonial. Get involved in the 48days.net group. Hey, we got a the Wisdom Meets Passion cruise coming up. Going to be telling you more about that. Check out the link at 48days.com. We're going to have a blast in February. It'd be a delight to see you there. Have a great week.